Welcome to Acona Beyond the Articles, the podcast of Acona Online, the student-run newspaper for the Academy of the Holy Names in Tampa, Florida. Each episode is hosted by our staff members in which they give their opinions on a variety of current topics. We publish one episode per week, and you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, let's start the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Managing Editor Amara Saez, and I'm joined by two sophomore staff writers, if you guys would like to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Isabel Becker. Hi, I'm Kimberly Eagleville. And today we'll be discussing the entire timeline regarding the Senate runoff election in Georgia. We'll be diving into what happened to cause a runoff in the first place, what voting was like during the runoff, the results of the election, and what happens now that the two Senate seats have been filled. So I feel like it's necessary to give a little bit of a disclaimer. We're just simply young people interested in politics. Um, and while we do our best to provide factual information in a non-biased manner, um, this podcast will allow room for discussion and exchange of opinions. So, Isabel, do you want to start off with what happened prior to the runoff? In the 2020 general election, two of Georgia's Senate seats were open because of a special election after Senator Johnny Isaacson's retirement. And so part of Georgia law is that um, a candidate has to receive 50% of votes in order to win an election. And when that doesn't happen, the top two candidates go into a special runoff election. So the two races were between John Ossoff and David Perdue and Kelly Leffler and Raphael Warnock. David Perdue in one of the elections came up with 49.89% of the votes. And so that triggered a runoff. And then the other had 20 candidates. So a runoff was almost inevitable. And the two top two candidates from that were Kelly Leffler and Raphael Warnock. I think it's important to mention that each state comes up with um, their own election rules. So this whole 50% to win thing, it's a Georgia specific rule. So in Florida, our elections are run a little bit differently, but this is what happens in Georgia. And then um, that's why we have these two runoffs. Four main candidates between these runoffs, the first of which are John Ossoff and David Perdue. So like a little bit of background between those two candidates. Purdue served as a senator for four years. He won his seat in 2014. Before that, he was the CEO of Reebok and Dollar General. And so this was his first foray into public, or his Senate seat was his first foray into public office. Um, Ossoff has been the CEO of Insight TWI since 2013, which is a media production company surrounding investigative journalism. In 2017, he was the Democratic nominee for the special election for Georgia's sixth district. So also Fran as a Democrat and Purdue as a Republican. The two in the other race were Kelly Leffler and Reverend Raphael Warnock. Leffler ran as a Republican and Warnock ran as a Democrat. So Leffler was appointed in place of Senator Johnny Isaacson once as he retired due to health reasons on December 31st, 2019. Prior to her run as senator, she worked in business and was the CEO of Bokt, a financial technology foundation. And Reverend Raphael Warnock was a senior pastor at Ebony's Baptist Church for 15 years, who became prominent in Georgia in 2014 as a really big proponent of expanding Medicaid. And since then, he's done other work with like different platforms of the Democratic Party. I think it's interesting to mention that um, like both Purdue and Leffler had sort of corporate backgrounds and Ossoff and Reverend Warnock had like different um, non-corporate backgrounds. I just think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, it's kind of cool how, um, 
like stark the differences between the four of them, you know, like two of them kind of have the same, the same um, drive and political activism. While these two are more focused on towards the business side, as you said. Yeah. And I think that appealed to a lot of younger voters as well. Mm-hmm. I also think it like highlights the fact that there is no one path to becoming um, a government official. Everyone gets there differently. And I think you can see that in the backgrounds of all four candidates. Yeah, especially because like, if you look at like their majors and like what they have worked in before, none of it was like political related. Even mm-hmm. the closest would be Ossoff probably just because of like journalism right. surrounding like political events, but yes. Which is what we're doing right now. So we're gonna be political activists come soon. <laughs> <laughs> so do you wanna talk about turnout in Georgia and what happened? Yeah, that? okay. So Georgia was a really key player in the 2020 general election. It went blue for the first time since 1992 when it voted for Bill Clinton. And so this was really huge for Georgia. It's typically a more conservative state, as is most of the South. And this was really due to voting rights activists, like one notable, one notable figure, Stacey Abrams, who were really working to bring in minority voters to the polls and voters who and first-time voters. Um, So these people tend to vote democratically. And so Atlanta and its surrounding suburbs were like the most progressive out of the area. A key part of that was that Atlanta has grown in population since the 2016 election. So a lot of these things combined to make Georgia vote democratically. Mm -hmm. It was a very big shock and it ended up calling the general election. And I don't think anyone really expected that. So on top of the fact that it called the general election, these runoff races cause even more national attention on Georgia. So, of course, it's a very high stakes election for Georgia. Um, Isabel, if you want to talk a little bit about why it matters on a national scale. Outcome of this race would affect the Senate majority. So if um, both Warnock and Ossoff were to win their races, it would be split, split evenly, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. However, the vice president serves as the tiebreaker when this happens, and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is a Democrat, which means that it would give, like, this, them both winning would give the Democrats the, like, smallest Senate majority possible, mm-hmm. and this would be helpful in, requir- in helping President-elect Joe Biden pass policies. However, the Senate has a rule that requires 60 votes for a bill to move past the debate stage to a vote which would mean that at least 10 Republicans would need to support that movement towards the debate phase or towards the voting phase, past the debate phase. Do you guys think that having that majority would help Joe Biden? I think think because the majority is so slim, it would require a lot of unity among the Democratic Party. And I don't know how close you guys have been following this, but the Democrats have sort of been struggling with their identity prior to this, the general election, and now as Joe Biden came out as president-elect, um, in terms of struggling between the more moderate and progressive factions of the party. So I think that for this majority to really mean anything, they'll have to really unify themselves and figure out like, what does the Democratic Party want to unify behind and what issues are worth, you know, sort of fighting for. Mm-hmm. And I also think that with President Trump leaving, this kind of just kicked him off. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, I mean, you could see that our country is slowly turning more blue. Mm -hmm. And with President Trump's, like, very, like, prominent red 
you know, everywhere. It was just, it's kind of a, it's, it seems like we're starting to like see change, you know, with these two people, especially that are more progressive and are working towards healthcare and all these things that are for the common people. And we kind of kicked two people off that are, I'll mention later on that they, they've done a, a lot of things that are shady in a way. It might not seem like a lot, but like for young people such as us, like seeing that as well, like gives, gives us some hope that things will get better. I think it's also interesting too, when you talk about like the 2016 election, when the presidency, the Senate and the House of Representatives were all controlled by Republicans. And in those four years, like it flipped so drastically to everything being controlled by Democrats. So I know um, unified government is only going to last for the two years, you know, of of Biden's um, presidency, but I hope that during those two years, uh, legislation can get passed and, you know, it'll be a little easier for him to pass his agenda. So Kim, do you want to talk a little bit about how campaigning was like for all four candidates? Yeah, so for Kelly Loeffler, so most of her finance for her campaign came from party committee contributions, but also a lot from personal contributions, which was Intercontinental Exchange, which is her husband's company. And um, she's supported by President Trump and Mitch McConnell. And it's, I think it's a good point to, uh, something to point out that both her and Purdue were accused of insider trading, like, a lot. And I think that, you know, it's something that, like, people um, should, like, should, should have known, like, while they were voting. And for Warnock, like, most of his finances came from donations, and he was supported by President-elect Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, and he was one of the heads of the New Georgia Project. And David Perdue, most of his finance comes from Delta Airlines and Home Depot, which I found a little strange. And she was support- he was supported by President Donald Trump, and as I said, he was accused of insider trading and scrutiny over multi-million dollar stock trades during the pandemic. And so John Ossoff, most of his finance for his campaign came from small individual contributions. And I think it's also noted that civil rights champion John Lewis was a person that really advocated for him, as well as Congressman Hank Johnson, Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden. And if elected at 33, he would be the youngest senator after Biden. And he was very big in the pro-affordable care act as well as um, Obamacare. I know that um, when you talk about like their campaigning and like their ads that they use against each other, I know um, Warnock and Ossoff really focus on the fact that Leffler and Purdue kind of um, use the pandemic to enrich themselves with insider trading. And I feel like that was probably one of the biggest um, reasons why they ended up losing Georgia. Yeah. And also um, I found in one of the debates that they had, um, Osof was like, he, um, Purdue made an ad. I think, I think, um, I'm pretty sure Osof is Jewish. And so he made an ad that like, you know, he enlarged his Jewish nose and he was making as like as a joke. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't like that very much. And he brought that up in one of the debates and really shut him up. It was, it was really funny. And also on the second debate they had, he was nowhere to be found and like the day before he had been spotted he had been at a trump rally but at the debate between him and osaf he wasn't there which is also why like osaf picked at that a lot i think um we talked about this in ap gov when you look at the purdue and osaf race specifically purdue was the incumbent and usually incumbents win their races without like challengers and usually they don't have to worry about challengers and i think what happened um in this case was purdue definitely underestimated 
um, Ossoff's popularity. And um, mm -hmm. when you talk about Ossoff, like I think his campaign was so, so interesting because of the way that he chose to advertise himself in online spaces. Like TikTok, um, TikTok was a huge, yeah. huge, huge like part of his campaign. And I thought his like campaign managers were so smart for like trying to appeal to young voters through TikTok. I don't know if you guys saw any of the TikToks, but like my feed leading up to the election, <laughs> I would get so many of his TikToks. Yeah, me and Isabel, I think you found him like the day after the election too, right? Mm -hmm. Like I found him the day after, like he was doing a TikTok trend and I thought it was just, I thought it was adorable. It was yeah, a very, I, it was a very good way of campaigning. Yeah, like the appeal to younger voters. And I think that's something that like other candidates have started to do as, or I think will start to do like learning from all self stories, especially in the Democratic Party, like appealing to young voters, because I think it's a really smart marketing campaign. It works. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that both Republicans and Democrats should start utilizing more. Um, in APGov, we talk about how the majority of campaign finance for people that are running is spent on television and like traditional um, and like traditional advertisements, like billboards and stuff like that. Um, and radio too, but I think the money should start shifting more to online spaces. It's going to become more beneficial for candidates to promote themselves online rather than through those tradi traditional media. Also, I had that almost $500 million was spent for the two races. Wow. Which That's is a lot of money. Yeah. I'm sure more money was poured in after the general election too, just because it was such a high stakes election. Of course, it's important to talk about the Trump tapes they leaked in the middle of voting in Georgia. And Kim, do you want to talk about that? I saw an article and it basically said that Gabriel Sterling, he was a Republican voting official. Um, he said that if these two, these two um, candidates lost the Senate runoff, it would be Trump's fault, thanks to the, the tapes that were recently leaked. And so the state of Georgia's Republicans are kind of divided enough as it is. And Trump's constant accusations to a faulty election, it really lost the trust of people into the Republican Party. I mean, it wasn't it was a very smart move of know. Trump to constantly attack the democracy like that and constantly, especially since it was at, in Georgia, you know, right. like it was the Senate runoff election in Georgia. And he was also constantly attacking Georgia. When you talk about Trump in Georgia, too, like one thing that I was kind of shocked at is when he went to Georgia to actually campaign for um Purdue and Leffler, he kind of turned his speeches more about him more than actually endorsing the the two Senate candidates. And I think that really damaged their their chances, you know, because Republicans were more focused on like, oh, what Trump was saying and like, oh, the election was stolen and all of that rather than on the Senate race. And that ended up, I think, contributing to their loss. And I think that Republicans were, I mean, were like fighting within themselves also. Because I know a lot that aren't that aren't exactly Trump supporters and just Republicans. A lot of them must have voted for for the Democrat side, especially since um since you know since Trump's attack on democracy like that. Okay, so then Black voters accounted for thirty two percent of the electorate in the Georgia runoff races, and it was an increase of three per three percent from the general election in November, and the white share of the electorate declined by four percent. And um, Democrats made up 42% of the electorate, 2% less than November. And Republicans made up about 50% and it went down 1%. More so I think people voted, especially like the rising youth voter turnout that we saw. 
especially like due to all the campaigning that that um the the Democrats did, I think. Yeah, I was talking to Miss Chase because she just she taught elections for a semester, and she was telling me something interesting that I hadn't really considered, which is that between November and um, January, more like people turned 18 and those people although they couldn't vote in the general election could vote in the special election which i thought was super interesting so of course that would contribute to more um younger voters i don't know i just thought it was interesting like i never really thought about that window of time that would allow more people to vote too trump's not just for trump himself but also for leffler and purdue who also endorsed trump his constant regard to the coronavirus is the china virus it decreased Republican votes from the Pacific Islanders, which I think that is really interesting. I mean, if he, if he could have just referred it to as, as its, as its scientific name, then maybe, I mean, I don't think things would have been too different, but you know, it just, it's yeah. a little detail. Mm-hmm. He could have won a little, a bigger share of the Asian vote that in Georgia. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about like the Trump takes, Trump tapes being leaked, you know, him calling the secretary of elections in Georgia and asking for 11,000 votes. Um, and all the backlash that followed afterwards happened over the weekend, right before in-person voting took place in Georgia, which was on Tuesday, January 5th. Um, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but obviously Ossoff and Warnock won their races and history was made in several ways um, by their win. As of January 6th, the New York Times has said that the voter turnout was more than 4.3 million people. Um, this number includes more than 2 million early votes and more than 1.2 million election day votes and 995,000 absentee by mail votes. Um, The count will obviously be finalized in the coming days and it's likely that more early and absentee votes will be added to the total. So these numbers are historic for several reasons. Georgia, like many other Southern states has a history of voter suppression. Um, In past elections, there have been long lines, few polling places in communities of minorities, Um, There's also been the clearing of inactive voter registration records. On in-person voting day, everything went smoothly in Georgia and there weren't reports of any long lines or other obstacles. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said that after wait times averaging just two minutes on November 3rd, Georgia's election administration is hitting a new milestone for effectiveness and efficiency when reporting about the voting process. According to his office, wait times at polling stations across the state average just one minute, which is huge. Um, when you consider the history of voter suppression in the South. Um, Isabel, I think you wrote a story about voter suppression. Do you want to mention anything about that? Yeah, um, voter suppression is like really rampant in the South and it really affects minority voters in particular. And I think that like this lack of voter suppression and like quick wait times and all that different stuff is I think really key in the increase in black voters. Mm -hmm. It went up 3%, I think you said. Yeah. And so I think that those things are like really linked together and that is really linked to particularly Warnock's win as a black man. Um, so I think that's super interesting and really a great reflection upon Georgia. Uh-huh. And when you talk about increasing voter turnout, um, it was really high in Georgia considering it that it was a runoff race. Um, typically runoffs gain very little attention and usually have lower voter turnout. However, this time around, voter turnout hit more than 80% of the turnout in the November general election. Um, Voter turnout races were even higher in Democratic strongholds, like we mentioned, um, typically more than 90%, and especially high in predominantly Black precincts, which is amazing. Speaking of voter turnout, we also have to mention Stacey Abrams and her contributions to high voter turnout um, in Georgia. 
I know we mentioned her a little bit earlier, but Abrams, as a former minority leader of the Georgia State House, has spent a decade building a democratic um, political infrastructure in the state. Um, and her efforts are largely responsible for the incredibly high rate of voter turnout in the state. Last Tuesday night, Ms. Abrams praised the thousands of organizers, volunteers, canvassers, and tireless groups who helped rebuild the state's Democratic Party when she became the State House Minority Leader in 2011. I don't know about you guys, but I admire her so, so, so much because she's done a lot of grassroots organizing and she's really, really unified the Democratic Party in Georgia. And she really delivered Joe Biden his win in November and delivered Ossoff and Warnock their wins now as well. I think that like the level of organization and the level of like togetherness that Abrams has provided the Democratic Party in Georgia is something that like Repu or Democratic leaders in like the National Party, I think should really take note of. Because as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of infighting within the party. There's a lot of difference in opinion and a lack of organization that some even said like cost Senate races and House races in other states. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Abrams work is something that like people should take note of and people should follow, especially in other states in the South. I was watching, I was like watching the news and stuff um, when the race was called for Warnock and they were saying that Stacey Abrams was such a large part of the win in Georgia, but that Stacey Abrams could exist. Like there's a Stacey Abrams for every state. And I think that we need to like focus on those individuals and recognize their efforts because they really, really do increase um, turnout in all types of elections. And they should be, you know, recognized for that because that's what America's about, you know, democracy and voting. Initially, several news outlets predicted that we wouldn't know the results of the election for several days. However, this proved to be incorrect as the race was called for Raphael Warnock early Wednesday morning and for John Ossoff late Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they are the first Democrats to win Senate seats in Georgia since 2000. I think that's really notable. Obviously on Wednesday was a capital attacks too, so I don't think they got a lot of news coverage in terms of um, like their wins. It's kind of crazy to think that all those things happened on one day. Starting off with Warnock and you know going into like how he reacted to his win, um, as we mentioned earlier, Mr. Warnock is a Baptist pastor, and he will become the first Black senator for Georgia and only the 11th Black member of the Senate in the U.S. history. Um, he's the youngest of 12, and during his acceptance speech, he paid tribute to his mother, Verlene, who as a teenager worked as a farm laborer. This is what he said. He said, quote, the other day, because this is America, the 82-year-old hands that used to pick somebody else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a United States senator. Warnock, who's 51, has for the last 15 years led the church where Martin Luther King Jr. crusaded for civil rights. His historic win is a win for the religious left and for Black communities across the United States. On Wednesday, he said, quote, that I am serving the United States Senate in a few days pushes against the grain of so many expectations, but this is America, and I want some young person who's watching this to know anything's possible. Any thoughts on that? Okay, the fact that he's the 11th Black senator in history is not great. Like, yeah. it's great that he won this, but the fact that he's only the 11th is, like, a really scary thing for the U.S. I watched um, when this race was called. Ooh, it was so, it was probably the highlight of this year because I, doing all this research about Leffler and, and Warnock, I, and then watching their debates and all these things, I have a lot of respect for him, the way he responded to her comments and the way he like, and the way that um, 
she is also, I think she's also Christian, Catholic, and the way that, like, there are differences in beliefs and the differences in the ways they approach things and the ways they talk and the, their mannerism, it's, it's very different. And I definitely have a lot of respect for the man. And the fact that he also was, is um, part of the church where Martin Luther King was, I mean, it's, it's kind of symbolic and it's really cool, you know? And I'm really glad that he won. I mean, he really deserves a seat. He pushed a lot of like coronavirus relief. He was just, he's just a good example. I really, I'm really glad he won. Yeah, he was, I think he's, like you were saying, he was active with Black Votes Matter and was really um, motivating for the Black vote in Georgia in terms of turnout. Like you said, Isabel, like it is really concerning. He's only the 11th in U.S. history. But I think it highlights like it is possible, especially that the fact that he's coming from a state in the Deep South, like a hundred years ago, nobody would have thought that that would be a possibility. Um, so I think it's nice to see that that change coming. I think his win in the Deep South is also really significant because the South has like the highest percentage of like African Americans in the country. Mm-hmm. And so I think he really, he says like, wants some young person watching this to know that anything's possible. And I think that's really great to have that as a role model in an area with so many young black people. Mm-hmm. Representation is definitely important, especially in such a high office, you know. Mm-hmm. Kim, you also mentioned um, the fact that they're both candidates, Leffler and Warnock were religious. I just think it's interesting how they use their religion in different ways. And religion's obviously very important to Warnock. And he's since said after winning that he still intends to be active in the, in the church and that he doesn't want to um, step down from his position as pastor while he's in the Senate. I think that's really admirable too, that he still wants to continue to be active with his faith. So now moving on to John Ossoff. Prior to his race being called, he said, and I quote, everybody who cast your ballot, everybody who put your faith and confidence in our democracy's capacity to deliver the representation that we deserve, whether you were for me or against me, I'll be for you in the U.S. Senate. I will serve all the people of this state. So he declared victory somewhat prematurely prior to the race being called, but regardless, he, he did end up defeating David Perdue. He called a race in his favor when Warnock's race was called, but like, as you remember, as noted prior, um, Ossoff's race was called later that day. So he did declare victory a little early. However, this is Ossoff's <laughs> second high-profile runoff in Georgia. In 2017, he saw a seat in the state's 6th Congressional District. He lost by a slim margin in the historically Republican district that year, but he still remained visible in Georgia politics, and that obviously delivered him this win, his, the win this time. Um, Ossoff is the first Jewish senator from Georgia and will be the youngest sitting U.S. senator at age 33. So what do you guys think that says about our country that, you know, this Senate race was so historic and, and the fact that it was, you know, in terms of race and religion and age? I think it means really great things for America that we're seeing like more diversity within U.S. government and within national government specifically because and like having like younger people, I think that having a more diverse set of viewpoints and they're able to pull from different experiences. People of different religions, of different colors, we all bring in something to the table, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you're the 1% or if you're like, you know, your financial status is very high up and has always been very high up. You don't know what it's like to be like a middle-class person who is working every day. Mm-hmm. And I think that since these two, I mean, especially Asaf, who's been working, um, like he has, a, he has a, a program where he, um, he outs like injustices, you know? And I think that they're going to focus more on like what it's like to be 
a normal person, you know? For Ossoff, when you look at his age, um, both the Republican and Democratic Party are run by really old people like Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> Donald Trump, Joe Biden. They're all so, so old. And I think it can be disheartening for younger people who are interested in politics because you're looking at these people who are running the country in a way that, you know, is so different from our experiences. And I, I think it's important to, you know, to have that variety in age because Ossoff will bring a perspective that is more close to ours and um, mm-hmm. a viewpoint that is more similar to ours, you know, in terms of the way that they've grown up, how he's grown up, I'm sure is a hundred percent different than how Nancy Pelosi grew up. And, and that age difference, I think will be, mm-hmm. um, will be vital in providing perspective to other senators. Yeah. I also think that older candidates like kind of have this longing for like what America once was like when they were young and it's like America's not going to go back to that place ever. And so having like a younger perspective, I think is a really big step in moving America forward and making it better as it's going to be in the future and not, not as it was in the past. Oh my gosh. I love that you said that and how you worded that, because I think these two Senate races definitely highlight that, that we are moving forward and we need to embrace that and whatever it's going to look like rather than trying to move backwards and um, trying to go back to like what America was. The good old days. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what happens now that they both won their seats it will take several days for the Georgia runoffs to be officially certified. So um, Ossoff and Warnock are not going to take office immediately. Warnock's term lasts only two years, but Ossoff has won a full six-year term in the Senate. So the Senate would be evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans, like we said earlier. Um, But once sworn in as vice president, Kamala Harris would have the power to break ties through Democrats, meaning Democrats would be considered the majority and have control of the Senate. As we mentioned earlier, this gives the Biden administration a greater chance of achieving its agenda on issues such as healthcare and climate change. The Senate also has the power to approve or reject uh, President Biden's nominees for cabinet and judicial posts. This means it'll likely be easier for him to pass his nominees, but overall the razor slim majority does not mean that Biden will have an easy time passing legislation. I know we mentioned this earlier, but the progressive and moderate rings of the party are really going to have to compromise, especially during these two years of majority control in order to get things done. It's definitely not going to be easy. There will be a, there will be a lot of compromise. I think there's going to be a lot of compromise anyway, even just looking at like Joe Biden, who is a much more like moderate Democrat and his vice president who Kamala, who is much more progressive. Like, I think there's just going to have to, like, I think there's just going to be after the so much like middle ground middle ground and appealing to the Republican side even to just get things passed. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that easy. But I think that this gave us, like, as, like, citizens of the United States, it gave us more hope. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to be – I don't know about the legislation part, I mean. But I think it was a race that gave most of us hope that things are moving forward. Yeah. Um, When you talk about hope for legislation and for action – I think it's important to recall that both Donald Trump and Barack Obama enjoyed unified government for the first eight months of their presidencies. Um, Single party rule in the United States has been rare in the last few decades. Trump's unified government was only the fifth time it's happened since 1980, which gave Republicans a rare opportunity to advance major policy initiatives without needing Democratic support. But despite this, the GOP struggled to pass major legislation. And the same thing happened during Obama's presidency. So, Um, When you talk about hope for legislation and hope that stuff will get done, I mean, we'll have to see because 
Obama and Trump, they both had unified government and they were still unable to do much. I think it's important to remember that unified government doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be easy for um, Democrats to pass whatever legislation and do whatever they want and pass things like the Green New Deal, da da da. Um, it's just not going to be that easy for them. It's definitely not like the end all be all. It's not like, woohoo, they won their races. We can like sit back, pat ourselves on the back, and like be done with politics for the next four years. But it definitely is a race and a result that provided a lot of hope. And I think it should serve as a motivator moving forward and like a reminder of like what hard work can do, not a way to be like the hard work is done. Yeah. And I think that it really leaves it up to us, you know, to once again unify our government to hopefully that we as the next generation will be able to have a more unified government and like strive for that progression. Isabel touched on something really important that just because these races were called doesn't mean that it's over. Like, oh, we don't have to care about politics anymore. It's unified government. Um, Biden's got his plan down. Like, we didn't have to do anything. Um, we definitely have to continue to hold elected officials accountable and continue to stay politically active. I know it can be exhausting, you know, constantly be consuming the news and stuff. But as citizens and as young people, I feel like that's our duty if we want, if we really care about America and care about. So that was definitely a lot to take in and digest. But thank you for sticking with us until the end of this podcast. Remember to stay updated with Acona Online. And we hope you enjoyed the breakdown of Georgia's historic Senate race. Bye. Bye. Bye.